0: Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community, and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. Well, well here we go it's a wednesday afternoon we're here welcome to banter my name's murray <laughs> oh, and i'm mitch and we're back in routine back in routine again i tell you what i'm in a good mood today mate i uh, had a delicious lunch and hsp HSP. Yeah, do you know what that is? No. It's a halal snack pack. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what that is? Yeah. It's so good. So good. Took me back to my Bankstown roots. So yeah. good. You got to get a little bed of chips, some little chicken shaved off a greasy old spit <laughs> that's been rotated on a old electric heater. And then um, garlic sauce, chili sauce. I pay extra dollar for tabbouleh. Gorgeous. You go. yeah, Where'd yeah. you get that from? Uh, that was just around the corner from college where I was teaching today. Yes. It's like... Literally a dungeon there, but the food is so good.
1: <laughs> Man, I feel like there's a lot of shops in Sydney that just look horrific on yeah. the outside, but are really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely. I, th- I think that there's a type
0: of cuisine where the worse the shop looks. <laughs> and the bigger the line out the door like it's almost another pin of honour it's yeah. like this place literally looks like someone was just murdered here <laughs> and you've got a line out the door of people giving you money for their food yeah. so yeah that's, I feel like that's, that's part of, part of the, the, uh, the mystique of it yeah
1: uh, that was like the um, the Vietnamese bakery at Regents Park yes. it was such a dive but yeah. it had such good sandwiches yeah. Rach and I if we were working together we would regularly go down and grab like it was five bucks for like this sandwich and we put the chili on there and ah oh, so good love a little bun me yeah yeah can't
0: get enough of it yeah, yeah so um yeah. i'm i'm now just needing to drink my weight in water this afternoon to combat all the salt that i've consumed <laughs> that now, but it's worth it sometimes you just gotta treat yourself oh, man what was your uh, what was your lunch like today mate were you uh
1: i had two wraps from the cafe because i was had back-to-back meetings and was like oh, I'm going to be in this meeting for two hours so I ran and grabbed it and right. sat there one of those little chick- chicken wraps yeah they're so good man. <laughs> nothing, so, nothing so good. very exciting yeah, yeah. no so. I feel
0: I feel like um, your, your usual lunch I always think of is a wrap and some sweet potato chips that's it's a little yeah, go-to cool. I always think of but yes <laughs> look we're, this is just a running ad for the Centre Cafe yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're running a special deal if you mention banter when you order a wrap you'll get, get 10% zero, off 0%, yeah. oh 10% <laughs> off Mitch will put uh, the bill yeah. <laughs> 10% off I think that's like 80 cents yeah. well Mitch thank you so much for the sermon on Sunday it was uh, mm. really cool to explore I think what many and hopefully all people uh, yeah on Sunday would have known a story about you mm. know this classic David and Goliath I think yeah. even most people non-Christian would know the phrase David and Goliath is sort of, you know, that the giant versus the little guy. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that the one thing that really you were drawing out of it and this whole series has been pointing towards is how the life of David and the book of Samuel points towards Christ mm. in, a, in a really big way. Yeah. So um, I suppose the, the first big thing that I want to sort of chat about is with this sort of David and Goliath story you said at the beginning, you know, God will help you defeat your giants. Mm. Sermon over. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and everyone was very sad. And then he said, jokes, don't worry, guys. I'm here for 19 more minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, what is the issue when we look at a text like David mm. and Goliath And as a Christian, leave going, okay, cool, God will help me defeat my giants.
1: Yeah, it's because in the real world that doesn't always happen. Sure. And that's uh, the reality is Samuel is telling a story about a set group of characters that play a pivotal role in Israel and Yahweh's story with Israel. And so. In the Old Testament, Yahweh will defeat his enemies. That's kind of the promise. And there are certain key leaders where that happens. There are these yeah, fierce battles against, from a human point of view, like armies that are way more powerful than the Israelites. And Yahweh, as their defender and savior and God, will defeat these enemies. Um, and so, David and Goliath is part of continuing that story of mm. the Israelites. Going into Canaan and expelling the Canaanites. Now, whether we like it or not, that is a key part of the Abrahamic promises. You'll get this land of Canaan, and all the It nations, Canaanites, Amalekites, or all those Moabite, or all those It nations. All the ites. The Its, <laughs> They will get, yeah, Harem. That's what it is to be ritually like devoted up for sacrifice, to be killed, yeah. and Israelites to set up shop there. Uh, Israel were never meant to like expand the borders. They weren't meant to go out and seek. They weren't meant to attack. They were just to defend their homeland. And the the I guess the challenge with the warfare of Israel is that, say, in Joshua, um, Rahab's she's saved, Achan is killed. So holy war isn't just about. It's not an ethnic cleansing, as some people accuse. It's about God's holiness, and so. There are some people, like a Rahab, who is an ite nation from a mm. you know Canaanite who should have been killed, but is saved, and her family becomes part of, yeah, well, actually David's line, because yeah. it's part of Jesus. So that's agree, a great yeah. example. And Achan, who's actually from the same tribe as David, is killed for taking um, the coin from Jericho. So that's a big part of it. They're telling stories of God's moments of salvation. So David and Goliath here, it's Goliath represents... I would argue a cosmic evil. And mm. so how I tried to back that up was when we looked at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 5 I've had a mind blank. When the, um when the, yes, chapter 5 when the ark is um captured and um Dagon is put before the ark mm. and as the um as the Ark of the Covenant if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is was put in the Holy of Holies yeah. so it was meant to represent Yahweh's yeah. throne and so a lot of these physical battles they represented a higher spiritual dimension mm. and so um, even how Goliath presented mm. in the narrative he's got scales mm. as armour and you're like hmm mm. but scales kind of reminds me of a Serpent mm. or a f- half man, half fish god like Dagon, so yeah. anyway, 1 Samuel 5. That's in the sermon. Um, the Ark of the Covenant's captured, Yahweh deliberately goes into exile. We spoke about this a bit last week at Banter, um, mm. where I rehashed that too much. But as the Ark is there, um, at before Dagon, almost as like this superior, our God is stronger, Dagon is stronger than Yahweh. Dagon falls over not once but twice, and the second time. Dagon's head falls off and his hand comes off and Mm. so that is they're showing Yahweh's power Mm -hmm. and then there's this huge breakout against the philistines of these tumors that go out and yeah lots of people are killed Mm. it's almost like God's way of showing like my holiness just can't like contain this sinfulness and this is the the punishment for you and so that that's I guess kind of alluding to what's going to happen to mm. Goliath in a sense because Goliath too he said, is ultimately cut off he mm. loses his power mm. and so that's part of that's part of looking at these narratives is it's, yeah okay God can defeat my Goliath but you can't that's not how you're supposed to read David and Goliath as mm. this oh every problem I face in life God will overcome it mm. um, the same could be said for Shadrach Meshach and Abednego. Um, at, yeah, there's plenty of faithful Jews who were burnt or mm. killed mm. at the time of the Babylonian, um, yeah, exile. And mm. there's plenty of faithful Jews who were killed by the Greeks later on. And uh, so, yeah, wh- what they what these narratives do, they show us how God can use someone. And I think it's encouragement for us to live by faith, to not live by sight. David mm. certainly had tremendous faith to. And that's how you meant to see him, this boy. Now we're not really sure how old he is. Sure. Some kids' Bibles make him out to be like a nine-year-old. Yeah. He's not old enough to fight. Fight, so he's not twenty. Yeah. So he's not old enough to fight, but I don't think he was a ten-year-old like some kids' Bibles made sure. him out to be. Sure. He's probably a teenager. <laughs> uh, how don't know. old, Goliath? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, point is, he's yeah, not old enough to fight. So he's under twenty. Goliath is described as a man of yeah. war, man who yeah. goes in between. This is what he does. He mm-hmm. goes out. And this was quite common in the ancient world. You just have one-on-one combat to mm-hmm. decide. It's a lot more cost-effective. <laughs> for both sides. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. yeah, that that was part of it. <laughs> and so he's presented in many ways. And even like his height, um, <laughs> a little bit of discrepancy, depending on which text, if whether he was nine foot or seven foot. But... Some ways I kind of like the nine-foot reading better because it taps into those images from like Genesis six of the Nephi or the the giants that the twelve spies see before they go into the promised mm. land and yeah even like um, a Nimrod sort of character from mm. Genesis chapter ten who we don't really know much about but a mighty warrior these kind of mighty warriors who are very fearsome very scary mm. larger than life kind of They're the best villains aren't they the larger mm. than life mm. sort of villains who seem invulnerable and that's what yeah it, the the narrative is showing for us is that mm. David's this sort of shepherd boy mm. who isn't trained in warfare but mm. has tremendous faith in God doesn't live by sight but lives by faith stands up for Yahweh's honour that was mm. and goes out and fights and wins so yeah, yeah as Christians I think a, a legitimate reading is to say, hey, God can defeat my Goliath, mm. but not to see it as a promise mm. that every Goliath will be defeated. I think that can be yeah. the danger. And Actually, it's funny. I read through the first sermon I ever preached on this from 2014. Mm. A long time ago. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how I ended it. I was like, you just have faith to God will overcome your giants. Mm. And that's how I ended it. And I was like, that's right. Mm. But I am a lot older and wiser now and recognize that there Mm. are some Goliaths that just can't be defeated that God ultimately does win but in this time and space we sometimes don't see our prayers being answered the Mm. way that we want Mm. so yeah that's my nuance there is like yeah we should have faith like David we shouldn't be living in fear like the Israelites Mm. and that's what they're criticized for yeah but yeah to live by faith
0: So the first thing um, when looking at this story is to recognize that there's nuance Mm. that that doesn't always look the same way on this side of eternity Mm. of God helping you defeat your giants. I think the thing that I really love that you did was tying that Goliath into Golgotha and about how ultimately through the the, the cross Mm. on Golgotha with Christ, he defeated, you know, all of our Goliaths Mm. in that way. Um, I've, yeah, there was a bit of a documentary that was on Netflix a while ago that I'm not even going to say the name of because I wouldn't recommend people watching it. But one of the sort of critiques that was, um, critiques of Christians who preach from the Old Testament without preaching Christ, essentially. Mm. Um, it was a bit of a, you know, New Age reformist, yeah. you know, belief that every single sermon should be Christocentric. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but I suppose you um, did make it Christocentric, which is fantastic. Um, Do you think that as we look at this passage, it needs to be Christ-centered, that that, that Jesus needs to be mentioned in it as Christians? That's
1: a great question, Mario, because I... Also preached on it a few years later and then led to Christ definitely and thought, well, that's the best reading of it. And now Mm. I've come to a more nuanced view is that, yeah, you can use David and Goliath to preach about the necessity for faith to overcome giants, but not seeing it as a proof text for that. But also to all, like Jesus does say like scripture points to him. Mm. And so looking for the lens of Jesus, but I think if you don't, Go there. That's okay because mm. ultimately, David. Yeah, with David defeating G- the Goliath is setting up the introduction to David as the replacement for Saul. Sure. And so, you can read that within the framework of Samuel and David's story, legitimately. And if you don't get to Jesus, I don't think you're going to get a lightning bolt from heaven. As <laughs> yeah, the more intense. Yeah. Because yeah, sometimes I do find it a long a bit of a stretch like there's a kid's Bible mm. oh, which I've forgotten its name <laughs> Sally Lloyd-Jones she I don't know yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's like it's really well done Yeah. but yeah that's the kind of the first thing is like oh but we have uh, Jesus defeated a greater Goliath and it just like jump straight there sure. whereas I uh, was well, only had only 20 minute time frame but trying to make yeah. that a little less jarring of like well I'm, yeah and yeah. I think too there's a people who sort of preach Christocentrically also don't like kind of preaching about because often like christocentric preaching very reformed so they have yeah. kind of calvinistic yeah. underpinning and so they often feel uncomfortable about humans having any sort of kind of free will or decision and it's all like sure. preaching about like god this is what jesus will do for you just focus on jesus not on how you need to change Sure. And so yeah, I'm thinking of the late Timothy Keller's preaching book. That's what he would say. It's like, oh, well, if you're preaching, you know, God can treat you. Goliath. you're sort of not allowing God to to work. And I feel like, well, no, like life, it's both. Yeah, God will answer our prayers, but we need to have the faith yeah. to respond to that. Like there's a, there's a mystery in prayer and in faith. And the mystery of prayer is that, and I know how it works, but God does respond mm. to our prayers. Yeah, There's a mystery that God does respond to our faith, and that's why we're encouraged that God delights in our prayer. God delights when we yeah. show obedience. And yeah. so, yeah, having that, that, that faith in him when you are facing your giant, mm. that's better than sort of going, oh, well, David Goliath really isn't about defeating it. It's really about Jesus' victory on the cross. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. I mean, I think that Jesus ultimately is pointing people to the Father, hmm. and I think that if a sermon does that, then it is in line with with Christ's yeah. heart. I think that if you preach for you know a year and you never mention Christ, yeah. I'm like maybe, maybe we need to yeah, yeah, talk yeah. about your you know your Christology. But um, really, really interesting, and you know, I don't want to kind of go down too much of a rabbit hole, but. You know, throughout Acts, Acts 17 in particular, you know, we see that, you know, the idea of Christ's crucifixion isn't sort of mentioned in that moment by Mm -hmm. Paul. You see moments where, you know, people are being pointed towards God in a way that doesn't have to always be christ yeah. which, yeah, is interesting, but I mm. think regardless, I think it was a really beautiful uh, bridge that you made between those two texts. As we sort of dive deeper into this text, um, I- I'd really love to look at a few little things um, it w- within it. Um, you sort of spoke about um, off-air this idea of the relationship between David and Saul and even Jonathan throughout mm. this narrative. Mm. Um, obviously, Saul at this point is king Um, Samuel has anointed David privately which we'll talk about on Sunday Um, but what's going on here that we see with this relationship of David the sort of secret messiah in some Mm, ways um, yet to fully be revealed to the public and Saul the current king Jonathan his sort of heir apparent to the throne Mm. what's the relationship that we see in this passage
1: yeah so it kind of like, so Saul's role, he's meant to be the tallest guy in Israel mm-hmm. and he's meant to be the king. who's fighting their battles. So and because the spirit has left Saul, and so when Saul first gets the spirit, he goes and fights the Amalekites and is victorious. So now the spirit has left him. He can't fight in the same way that he was supposed to. And so what's interesting is that when... Saul hears about David's willingness to fight. And I find this, yeah, we we're talking a little bit about this last week, too. I actually find it tricky with Jonathan. I'm like, because Jonathan's presented as like a better Saul. Mm. He too fought like against fistyleles so anyway, but yeah, it doesn't go into that. So mm. but when Saul dresses David, so we know as the reader from Chapter Sixteen that the spirit's on David, it's departed from Saul. David's been anointed. And by Saul giving his battle dress... Um, so it says here in 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put on a coat of armour and a bronze helmet on his head. And it's interesting. Like, he's... The king has clothed the future king. Mm. It's a way of kind of showing... And, and Saul, progressively, as you read the rest of 1 Samuel, because he dies at the end of 1 Samuel... He progressively gets undressed from his royal clothes, mm. um, to all the way to the end where he dresses in disguise to visit the witch at, in at Endor. Mm. And so it's almost like this is setting up the beginning of his unclothing. And clothes in the Bible represent status. So mm. you know, Adam and Eve begin with no clothes; they put on fig leaves. That's no good. So then God dresses them in animal skins to clothe them. The priests are given royal garments, kings. So it's a way of like symbolizing the unraveling of Mm. saul by taking Mm. off his his Mm. clothes so it's interesting he's got the king's like armor on which is huge Mm. he's about to marry into the royal family that's one of the promises exempt from tax Mm. if he wins Mm. he'll get to marry the daughter Mm. of saul so david's starting off which is this theme in samuel the replacement sons Mm. david is setting up as a replacement son and like all the replacement sons um Samuel, Saul, and now David have to win a battle mm. at the key moment. And so this is part of it. And then at the end, it's actually not in chapter 17. It's actually in um, chapter 18. And I just gotta find where it is. But it's when um, Jonathan. Uh, here it is, chapter 8, chapter 18, verse 3. It says here, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as him self jonathan took off his robe he was wearing gave it to david along with his tunic and even his sword his bow and belt Mm. jonathan at this point he's the heir to the throne Mm. and the heir here and um as one commentator pointed out which i hadn't even like clicked is that jonathan's probably 40 at this mm. point,
0: like yeah, you can I always yeah. view Jonathan and David as age.
1: peers. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up with a family where the, those two brothers are Jonathan and David, and so in my mind, that was, that was sort of you know similar <laughs> age. But yeah, Jonathan's like Actually, one guy, um, um, he argued that Saul Jonathan could have be old enough to be David's father, like by, yeah, by wow. this point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, the point is, this is the older son, a lack of a better yeah. word, because yeah, David yeah, always yeah. becomes like an adopted son of Sauls. Yeah. The older son is now giving, showing, um, yeah, favor upon the younger son, which Mm. David is of Jesse. So, Mm. so even, so sandwiched between that, you see this undressing of Saul and giving the armor. And now at the, at the end of his victory over Goliath, Jonathan recognizing David's power Mm. and anointing from God. And so Mm. part of that whole clothing Mm. process. So that's a cool little interplay there, and I, I guess one thing too, like think about how David points to Jesus. In some ways, I see he, at this moment, is operating as a king who's very different. Because, um, yeah, we we know that David goes out into battle, and he's like, "Nah, I can't go out in these. I'm not used to them." So he takes everything off and just goes out in his shepherd's garb, mm. and. Yeah, he's fighting as a warrior, and as a future king, mm. unlike any other warrior king. Which, mm. in some ways, Jesus is a warrior king. Um, it's in chapter 16 when when David um, plays the harp mm. when Saul's being oppressed by evil spirits. It's like a proto-Jesus because Jesus goes out kicking out evil spirits. Mm. So, yeah, David with the anointing of the spirit is. Mm engaging in a different sort of warfare like mm. what Jesus does. And so some people argue Jesus is the warrior king, but he just fights demonic forces rather mm. than human enemies. And so, yeah, they, I, I see that as like another link too between them It's like they operate as different warrior kings. And obviously, David <laughs> eventually does dress like a king <laughs> and does all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But at this moment, yeah. we just get a highlight of the type of differences that God wants from their king that this is this is the type of king Deuteronomy 17 was talking about this is the mm. type of guy you want who yeah trusts in God who understands his word who mm. yeah isn't yeah doesn't make his decisions based on what is seen around him but yeah. based off his faith yeah. in God
0: um, so re- really interesting this idea of Saul in this moment kind of stripping off his clothes in a way Mm. um, potentially alluding to the vision of like a naked Adam and Eve sort of Mm. this this new moment of testing Um, really interesting that you in some ways have this moment echoing the Eden narrative in a lot of ways because then you've also got this Goliath As Mm. a As a serpent figure So You've obviously got the fact That he Is Has scaly Armour um, there's also um, the the bronze element, the fact that they're bronze, and the the, the word Nahashet ne, uh, uh, is essentially the same core yeah, words as Nahash, the, the serpent. serpent yeah. So it's sort of like this this other idea. He has serpenty scales, mm-hmm. is kind of like what you'd yeah. be reading in the Hebrew. Um, and then on top of that, also the beheading of him sort of has Genesis three fifteen. Mm. Language in there. yeah of, of crushing the serpent's head, yeah. cutting off Goliath's head. You're really seeing David in this moment being set up as this, you know, proto-Christ. Mm. Um, yeah, in, in this as well, you've got this really fascinating idea that his Goliath is called as the, the man of like the in-between yeah what's going on there what does that uh, mean that's so a weird term yeah
1: of it is a weird term um, I have a little note on that because it can it's, it can
0: get like translated to just a military leader yeah sort of thing so in the NIV. like
1: the man it's one who goes out to fight another essentially sure so he was the designated one-on-one fighter basically so sure. And that's what Saul says to David, Hey, this guy's been trained for warfare since he was a boy. This is like his thing. He, this, is this is his what thing. He like does. he's yeah. Pro, yeah, just been trained up to engage in one on one combat with Yeah. yeah his opponent. So that's that's sort of what that means the man between goes out sure. between the opposed battle lines to fight. another.
0: Is there a similar phrase with the Nephilim and and that idea that they are sort of men of the Mm in-between between heaven and earth, this idea that they are trying to almost be a, you know, we, we've spoken about uh, previously a proto-Christ in their own way. They're mm. trying to be fully man, fully God. Goliath is sort of coming out as a man of the in-between. He's this big yeah. giant who's sort of trying to, you know, I, I suppose, sort of undermine the people of God mm. in that way. Um, I was, yeah, just wondering if that was mm. any connection. But mm-hmm. so, when but we look at how tall
1: he is as mm. well,
0: um, is it is it important whether he was actually nine foot or not?
1: Uh, I don't think so, no, because, (laughs) yeah, there's, like, there's a bit of debate around different sources about his height. Sure. And, yeah, uh, there's Josephus, he was a Jewish, um, yeah, he, he, um, he wrote, um, that Goliath was four cubits in a span, so, uh which would be closer to that seven foot sort of size. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Ultimately, I don't think it really matters because you're talking like Jewish men who are quite small. Yeah. And so why I like the real tall reading is um, it makes out Goliath to be even more fearsome (laughs) than what he really is. So at the end of the day, I don't think it destroys the story what is exactly? Exact yeah, what, what, like He's, that's yeah. yeah it's it's a little bit incidental I can it be easy to kind of get caught up in like because we have the LXX the Greek version of the Old Testament and it cuts out large chunks of this narrative there's whole bits missing in mm. that compared to what we call the Masoretic text the Hebrew <laughs> so yeah I don't know some people would say Oh, well see because the LXX cut out showed you that this isn't meant to be here and now they mm. really are but Yeah I I think The whole point of this Is that Goliath Whether he was Nine foot Or seven foot Or Point is that he was A very fearsome Warrior Yeah so fearsome that for 40 days, yep. which is, I think, incredible the amount of patience on his part. Sure. To go out and mock the Israelites. Yeah.
0: I mean, look, I feel like the, the greatest comedians of roast battles, 40 days of material. That's yeah. A lot of like,
1: it's, it's a long time. And so that, that's the point is Israel's like living in fear. Like, it's like they've gone back to that sort of numbers um 13 when the, with the 12 spies. Yeah. And they just living... In fear, ah, we can't do anything, God can't. So, and then even the fact that Goliath goes out for 40 days is also meant to be seen as you know, it's a deliberate number yeah, there like just, 40 yeah. years, yeah, yeah, 40 days in the wilderness, like Jesus, like 40 kind of represents a period of trial, yeah, and tribulation. So, yeah, look, in a day, it doesn't matter, like, even if he is seven foot, that's still pretty huge.
0: He sort of it could be seen in some ways also as like an archetypal, almost
1: Pharaoh-like figure to be. Yeah, taken. well, he's he's representing evil. He's representing yeah. evil. Yeah, in, and many of the enemies Israelites face, yeah, they they're big. Well, because we kind of forget this with Joshua. When I mean, Joshua's fighting the Canuts, yeah. they're all still big. Yeah, I don't think they got shorter over forty years. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Dramatic, drastically, they're still. Yeah. That's how you meant to read it, is the spies saw how huge they were in the yeah, land and Josh was fighting these people and the Philistines too were quite as an army were quite superior. Um yeah, they had um they had well, weapons and chariots. And yeah. we spoke about this a bit last week. Like chariots are way more yeah, <laughs> effective yeah, yeah. as a military vehicle than For sure. being on foot. Well even I had s- some notes here about Goliath's um, like armour his armour weighs 58 kilos the end of his javelin <laughs> weighs 7 kilos the shield's so big he needs a servant to carry it like yeah <clears throat> they reckon the average size of an Israelite soldier was 5 feet 8 inches so what's that in metres like know, 160 170 yeah. ish. I don't know feet and yeah. inches it's, but the point is like they're not they're not tall people yeah, so yeah. whether he's 9 foot like 2.9 meters or seven foot, like 2.10. Mm. The point is he's still a he's big massive. dude. He's massive. He's huge dude. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. how I meant to see him as, yeah, this, uh, is that word cosmic kind of figure? He represents a greater evil than yeah. what's there. Yeah. Um, he represents that, ser- that serpent type Yeah. image that scripture yeah. alludes to the seed of the woman crushing. Mm. So, and that's part of it. He's crushing, crushing, uh, David's crushing the evil. Yeah ejecting the evil from the garden what Adam was supposed to do because the land of Israel becomes like a new garden of Eden Mm. Yeah. yeah so cool so in all of this
0: as we are sort of seeing what this will then mean for David moving forward into the story mm. um, th- this is really seen as, as a pinnacle moment uh, in which you know people kind of start to publicly mm. recognize David as, as somebody who's popular someone who's powerful someone who you know they sort of uh, st- start the women start singing about how he's greater <laughs> yes. than Saul and stuff um, w- why is this Sort of um, the moment in which God uses to reveal David as 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 this you
1: know new sort of king. Yeah, um, a bit like I said earlier, when when uh, um, a new son is adopted mm. in Samuel, they need to lead Israel to a victory, and so yes, yeah, Samuel does that in Samuel seven. He's there mm. like at this decisive moment. Saul, when he's first anointed as king, leads mm. Israelites into battle successfully, and now David. And so that was the the public moment to show the anointing on David in defeating Israel's enemies against overwhelming odds. Mm. And so, yeah, that that's really why it's done at this moment, because no one else yeah, even the great Jonathan, who we've already seen, has a tremendous faith. Even he doesn't go up against Goliath. Mm. So it's setting David up as someone who's utterly unique mm. as Israel's king. Mm. And yeah, and as Israel's shepherd. Yeah, it's it's cool in the text when, when Saul's sort of saying, "Ah, oh, you can't fight him, he's got way more experience than you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, David's like, well, you know, he's literally in the Hebrew grabbed the beard of bears and lions. Mm. So, like, yeah, it's this idea that, well, in in a sense it's implying that, well, Goliath's just another bearded creature that I just need to take care of. Mm. So he's almost like seeing him as no different to... Like the bears, and the lions that he's faced, yeah, so he, another beast he needs to yeah, rule and subdue, yeah, <laughs> essentially. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, and that's and that's why it's revealed this way. Is like this is a battle that people aren't going to forget. In fact, so much so that they, when he chops Goliath's head off, and we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, um, yeah, Goliath's sword is stored at a place called Nob, and yeah, it becomes kind of one of the only swords that David can use for a while when he's on the run from, mm. from yeah, Saul later yeah. on. So, yeah, that, uh, that's why it was this moment here, which revealing David's character to yeah. stand up. And, yeah, partly to <coughs> revealing, Not it doesn't use his language, but he was the man after God's own heart. Um, mm Goliath is a blasphemer and Leviticus 24 the crime for blasphemy was punishable by stoning so it's interesting Mm. that David uses a stone to Mm. to Mm. do that Mm. Uh, yeah
0: it's interesting. I mean, look. I think you got to sometimes be careful of some of this stuff. But um, I was also reading how Goliath's name, the sort of the root for it, like his exile, and sort yeah. of this idea that there's this forty days that they're out yeah, there, look. and then you know, sort of this, this this man who represents. I mean, to be honest, if they come into their land, they'll potentially get exiled again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that yeah, in this moment, well. he's sort of defeating the, the
1: exile as well. This well, and that's the interesting thing about. You know, kind of jumping all over the narrative, but the fact that the Philistines have gathered at Sukkah in Judah means that they have kind of regained the territory that Saul had or well, I should say more Jonathan had helped like win back mm. and so yeah the the Philistines remain this ever present threat throughout um, mm. throughout the book of Samuel like there yeah. and so and because I'll keep saying this but it's important to remember that Samuel follows judges immediately and the last sort of judge we hear a lot about Samson mm. probably operating in a similar time to when Samuel was there he does he defeats the Philistines quite mm. resoundingly and so yeah it's sort of in a way highlighting the failure of um of Saul of mm. like well yeah he defeated the the Philistines at one point mm. well more well, Jonathan but you know what I mean like like, like yeah, Saul yeah. as the king representing yeah. that is yeah yeah the last time we encountered the philistines in chapter 14 like we're told the panic strikes the whole army you know they're fleeing they're fine they find the philistines in total confusion yeah and they're saved and that's kind of the last we hear from them for a few chapters and then we encounter some other enemies like um what's his name that from their Alam- their and that but yeah it's sort of like well now that um Saul's kind of gone a bit mad and Mm. lost that spirit Mm. the Philistines can't come back in and Mm. so Mm. yeah which also is a little bit Judges like like Judges well Joshua shows like Joshua defeating all these key Mm. like enemies Mm. then Judges sort of shows now those guys are back in anyway like all the hard work Joshua's done has not paid off Judges try to show the Judges are trying to win that territory back Mm. and now in a similar way it's like well Mm. so Saul has kind of failed again And now it's up to David to yeah. Start defeating them Which is what he does eventually When you get to his, the point where he's ruling The Philistines are subdued And mm. the land is has the most peace That it has And then ultimately leads into Solomon's rule and reign mm. um, hmm. We see uh, obviously really interesting moment here Where
0: Saul has obviously been anointed He's been empowered uh, And... and um, yeah, I suppose like empowered by God at, at to a certain point mm-hmm. um, at this point, he has lost that power <laughs> and has fallen onto David. Yep. Um, we obviously live in a new covenant era where mm. there's grace. Uh, I sometimes wonder what it means for people. God has a plan for us mm. and will empower us to do things for his kingdom. Um but as flawed human beings, we will still screw up and sometimes, you know, miss opportunities maybe that God has given us. What does this sort of say for, you know, the, those sort of moments, mm. um, both maybe when there's something that we've been involved in and our season, of being in is just coming to a close. And sometimes when we fall short and maybe God has somebody else to take over yeah. our place, do you think that there's a still a space for that yeah. in, in this new that's era? a
1: great question. Because um, interesting, the Spirit, it rests on key leaders in yeah. Israel, um, not everyone. And that's kind of the whole point of Acts, is everyone now has the Holy Spirit, yeah. Jew and, and Gentile. Yeah. Um, Yes, God's still take your spirit away from people. Yeah. Yeah, I I would argue no, because like we're under the new covenant, the Joel yep. 2. Yep. I think we can quench the spirit. As T. Wright mm. says, I have the spirit, but I leak. Like that, yeah. I think we can quench the spirit, which Paul warns us not to do, because mm. um, our bodies are now the temples of the spirit. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, so I see the Old Testament is slightly different. The spirit... He empowered people for service, but not everyone has that. And different leaders represented the people because we still have a very individualistic way of viewing, I guess mm. our society. The Bible mm. has a very collective view is that? a, a leader represented the people. Mm. So yeah, Saul collectively represents Israel mm. and so because of that failure it's like well now you lose the spirit and I'm going to put someone else in charge mm. and so by that same token because now Jesus is our collective king yeah, and the spirit won't be taken from yeah. him it, I see that as the the key difference for us is yeah. that you can't just lose the spirit because Jesus is the one who baptised with the spirit mm. so I don't think you can ever yeah it's a big debate actually whether mm. you can lose your salvation but I think if you're a genuine Christian there'll be times yeah, yeah, where the yeah. spirit yeah won't be as active and present because yeah. of whatever reason unconfessed sin or just yeah not feeling present with God but I don't think the spirit truly truly departs because God's desire is for us to be in relationship with him mm. and yeah there's <clears throat> it's tricky language but yeah in 1 Samuel 15, like God's like oh, I regretted that I You know Made Saul king And it's Yeah It's in- Interesting Because like Is that regret How we understand it Or a bit differently But the point is It makes God sad mm. That Saul Like Yeah and, and it's It's a problem with scripture We don't have like a clear Nice clear theological framework To work mm. by But Like, obviously, God knows all things, but also, too, even though God knows things, he's still hurt by what happened. Like, he's still Mm. upset by what Saul's action does. And there's a regret, like with the Genesis 6, with the sin in the world. There's a sadness to him. It's not just an unemotional, unaffected God who Mm -hmm. is just so far up in the clouds. Like, what we do doesn't Mm -hmm. affect him. There's a deep impact there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. That's kind of my very long-winded way of answering that question. No, it's
0: it's a good answer. And yeah, like I think it is really tricky, but I love that idea that Jesus is now our king. Mm. So through that, um, when we, I'm sure we will in varying degrees, have sometimes, we we spoke about last week, like, what what can kind of seem like innocent and 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 earnest mm. mistakes like Saul mm. um that we don't need to carry the burden of being the king of being that representative because Jesus is our yeah. perfect ultimate representative and under God he is our leader who. Enables us as a nation, a new nation of believers, mm. not of you know a, a specific creed, yeah. um, to be filled with that yeah. spirit and have that blessing. I love that answer. Yeah. I thought it was a fantastic answer because yeah.
1: because <laughs> that's really, I guess, what Samuel. So we know in Judges we need a king. Samuel introduces us to a king. We get the Book of Kings and sees how that goes down. Yeah, and so I suppose like that's always the underlying question for us is like who's going to be good enough to do this mm. and I, I guess that's how you can read those cri- like christocentrically it's like mm. there's always something a bit lacking um, yeah e- even even in one samuel 17 i was listening to like a, a a lecture on it and the lecturer actually argued that he says oh many of us like think oh david's only sin was um Bathsheba true, yeah. and and as you'll start to see, you realize <laughs> it's a bit more than that. But he says here, and I've just got to find out, but basically he said when David even asked for what's the reward, he reckons that he was mm. being a bit, um, yeah, a bit of greed was underlying that. Yeah. So he's saying, goes even David here, who's presented as being very faithful, we see, yeah, at the same moment there, it's like, oh, what am I going to get out of this for doing mm. it? And he goes, mm. some of it's driven. He goes, he's not just a pure yeah sinless yeah. figure, even David has He's saying he wasn't trying to like rip him apart, but even but he's saying like there's, there's moment. a moment there we can see some of the yeah. the, the sinfulness even within him mm. that will be best expanded upon mm. as he gets older, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, so you know. <laughs>
0: Well, no, I love the thought that if the Bible is nationalistic propaganda for Israel, yeah, the redactionists did a really awful job at edi- editing yeah. out the bits that make their leaders look yeah, rubbish. I mean,
1: yeah. And that's actually one of the um, Josh McDowell and his book more than just a carpenter. That's one of his key arguments yeah. for like why it's not made up. Because dude, if you're gonna make this stuff up, <laughs> why would you have like the the leader of the church Peter being called Satan by Jesus, or showing like the time yeah. that he. Denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Where you know, the women are the ones going to teams where, heck, yeah, because you're going to make this stuff up, you would make these guys look good, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. come out looking terrible, yeah, and even, yeah,
0: the ones that do have you know, moments of of glory and victory, sort of even fulfilling their moment of being a, a. you know, proto-Christ sort of very yeah. much end up falling short, but even within that moment can fall short. So, well, yeah. Look, I mean, I I think that there's so much to unpack in this passage, and I think mm. that there, you know, can be a real danger of Christians becoming, uh, I don't know, maybe a bit desensitized to some of these classic Sunday school stories yeah. and missing the richness, mm. um, missing the layers. Um, and yeah, just kind of coming back to this story almost with adult eyes for lack of a better word, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just, not yeah. just,
1: um, yeah, which I think is the classic Sunday school. It's like, oh yeah, God will, God defeated, help David beat Goliath. He can do the same for you too. Yeah. And it's, it's a simple, it's yeah. not wrong. It's just a simple, simplistic yeah. reading of a yeah. deeper narrative. Yeah
0: maybe that should be a point in the sermon rather than the
1: takeaway. Yeah. The, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Not the the, the overall message, but so yeah. Good. So good.
0: Well, yeah, we are sort of messing around a bit chronologically. <laughs> and we're, uh, we're going back one chapter um, this weekend and yeah, looking at
1: David's anointing,
0: um, mm. which yeah, is man, such a, such a packed passage. There's so much stuff going on there. Yeah.
1: So, it's one thing that really points
0: to Jesus. It's sort of, that one oh yeah i mean look it's it's a pretty easy job really it's like just just talk about how um yeah how 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 david being christened with oil <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> essentially points towards Christ I'm like, yeah, easy um, but yeah I think that I'm, I'm really looking forward to exploring the idea of um, anointing and the theme of it throughout mm. um, scripture and how it does so beautifully point to Jesus and then what it means for us as Christians
1: yeah. as followers of Christ or anointed ones mm. so, should be good, yeah, should be and good. Even, um, yeah we didn't talk about it but David's older brother Mm. Well, I am he's yeah. tall a bit like Saul too so you know there's lots of little themes going on there like, yet uh, another tall person yeah. who falls short in the oh book no, of Samuel oh no. you know. a bit, they're a bit dumb a bit heightist, in Samuel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, feel, it. <laughs> I feel discriminated against <laughs> <laughs> not at I'm all I'm only 189 centimeters. I'm not that tall I'm not 7 foot at least you know so that's it I, I fall that's under it. the tall category the super tall category definitely
0: in the Old Testament <laughs> anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too easy well thanks yeah. for the chat Mitch no and, worries. Uh, yeah look forward to seeing you guys uh, Sunday see ya